Our text this morning comes from the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. Before we read that, I want to ask a question. And I want you to answer it to yourself. And I want you to think about this question as we spend time in the Word today. The question is simple. How much of God do you want? How much of God do you want? Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found. Because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Let's pray. Father, today, let us catch a glimpse of what it takes to come to you, to please you, to experience all that you have for us. Father, remove every hindrance and distraction. And may our eyes and our ears be attentive to what your spirit has to say to us today. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In Genesis chapter 5, we get one of those fun parts of the Bible. One of those so-and-so begat so-and-so and lived so many years and, and then begat so-and-so. And, and in that passage, the first genealogical list in the Bible, we come across a man named Enoch. And Enoch, remember back in these days, people lived a lot longer. And Enoch lived 65 years and then he had his firstborn son, a guy named Methuselah. Any of you old timers ever been called Methuselah? You know what would be worse? Being called Methuselah's dad. That means you're really, really old if you're Methuselah's dad, right? Because Methuselah was the person in the Bible who was the longest lived person ever. I think it was 969 years. And the Bible tells us that Enoch had, when he was 65 years old, he had Methuselah. And then it tells us something interesting. That for the next 300 years, he walked with God. He had other sons, other daughters, and he walked with God. For those of you who love God... I mean, for real. It's 
not something that you do to look good. It's not something somebody pressures you to. You don't, you don't do something for appearance. But everything in your life, I'm not saying you're perfect, but, but everything in your life is really revolving around God and pleasing him and loving him. And that's, that's the goal of your life. There was probably a point, an inflection point. There was probably a moment in your life when things just clicked. Now, perhaps it was the moment that you first came to know the Lord. And, and since that time, you, you have just lived for him each and every day. For other people, though, they come to know the Lord. And, and on a basic level, they trust that there's a God who loved us so much that he gave his son Jesus to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for our sins, to make a way to, re to restore the broken relationship, the one we messed up through our sin. And, and, and they are truly believing. And yet somehow something happens. Uh, there's a trip and a stumble. There's a, there's a backslide. And, and, and they get away from the Lord and kind of drift along for a number of years. And then, then there's a point when they just... They just get it. Maybe it's a near-death accident. Maybe you were in a car wreck or in something, uh, uh, an explosion or an accident at work, and you think, wow, I could have been gone. And you reevaluate your life, and you say, I've been messing around. What am I doing? And you reorient your life to God. For some people, it's meeting that special someone. Oh, I hadn't been really living, for, but, but if I want to be worthy of her, I, you know, I've got I've to be a better man. I've got to live more. Maybe it was just a, a particular time in a, a revival or a retreat or maybe just a devotion. God just got a hold of you. And, and you began to experience him in a, in a different way. For many of us, though, we're a lot like Enoch. We're living our life. We're doing our thing. We believe. Just kind of. And then we get this incredible gift. This young life that is put into our hands. And all of a sudden... <laughs> The things that we do, that we say, our decision-making process, we say this is, I, I don't want to raise my child to, to live the way I've been living. And, and we begin to walk with God. And if that's you, like I said, it comes in many different ways, but that seems to be what happened to Enoch. Because it says he lived 65 years and neither says good or bad or indifferent. But from the moment his firstborn child is born, Enoch walks with God. All the other folks in this list of so-and-so and so-and-so, and so, it doesn't say that about them. But Enoch, in his relationship with the Lord, he hearkens back to the way things were meant to be in the garden. When Adam and Eve would walk in the cool of the day 
and just share and talk and live in a passionate relationship with their God. And Enoch lived that kind of way. And you say, well, how long did he live if his son Methuselah lived to 969 years? Well, Methuselah made it, I mean, Enoch made it to 365, I believe, right around there. Because the Bible says that Enoch walked with God. And one day he was no more, for the Lord took him. I heard it said years ago, a little creative imagination, a pastor I was listening to preaching on this passage. He talked about the way that, that God and Enoch, that every day they would walk and they would talk and they would fellowship together. And their relationship was closer than anybody else had with God. And one day as they were walking, God looked down at Enoch and said, Enoch, we're closer to my place than we are to yours. Let's go on home. And the Bible tells us that Enoch was one of two people in the entire scripture that never tasted death. That never went to the grave. But he just walked with God. And one day, instead of walking back to Enoch's house, they walked to the fathers. And the author of Hebrews presents him as an example to us of faith. Of what it means to believe. Of what it means to truly walk with God. He wasn't the only one, though. There was a guy that many of you read about this week. If you were reading in the passage and the story as we've walked through the Bible. And we were looking, we've been looking at God's messengers, his prophets. You read about a guy named Elijah. Elijah was a fiery dude. I mean, he was a, boy, he was something. Uh, Elijah was not boring. Let me tell you. Uh, he was, he was uh, here or here, but he was really not in the middle he had his crazy ups and downs. He was the one that boldly stood before the people of Israel and said, choose this day who God, who, who the God is that you're going to serve. Who's the real God? And the 450 prophets of Baal and the 450 prophets of Asherah, they, they made their little altar and, and they started crying out. And he said, we're going to see which God is real. And they cried out and they called out. To their gods. And nothing happened. And hour after hour passed. And I like Elijah. Because he was just a little bit of a smart aleck. And Elijah said. "Oh, Could you be a little louder? I, I think your god may be napping. Um, maybe. He's indisposed. I mean. You know. And they became angrier. And more desperate. And these, these pagan priests. Began to cut themselves thinking that they would get the attention of their God. And of course, it never happened. Elijah, he'd set up, he didn't have 900 plus men to set up the sacrifice. He, 
He had the altar of the Lord that he restored, and he dug a trench around it. He said, fill up all these containers of water, douse it. Do it again. Do it again. Everything was wet. You ever try to start a burn pile when it was wet? Hopefully you didn't get stupid and try to throw gas on it. You know, anything like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. But he wanted to make it clear that this is no accidental spark that was going to happen. And so the whole thing was doused with water. The ditch, the moat he dug around, it was full. And God answered his prayer. And the fire from heaven came down and consumed that offering. Every bit of water, every bit of offering was gone. And all of a sudden, those people who wouldn't say a word when he said, who's the real God? All of a sudden, they're on their faces. And they're saying, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. He's God. He's God. And Elijah lived a powerful life. I mean, he's kind of known as the, the prophet premier in the Old Testament. He was the model for John the Baptist who would come before the Messiah, before Jesus. And so when it was his time to go, he also did not face the grave. He was with his servant his prophet in training, the one God had already told him to anoint because he would be his successor. And this man's name was Elisha. Pretty convenient, right? Elijah, Elisha. And he says, okay, I'm, I'm about to go, Elisha. Stay here. Elisha said, oh, no, I'm not leaving you. No way. No way. I know something special is going to happen. I'm not leaving. And he goes on. He says, Elisha, what can I... Okay, you're still following me. What can I give you? What do you want before I go? And Elisha says, I want a double portion of your spirit. And Elijah said, that's a tough thing. That's a hard and difficult thing. But it will be granted to you if you're with me when I am taken. And they go a little further. And the Bible says a chariot of fire appears between Elijah and Elisha. And Elijah is carried up in a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha's just standing there, watching it. He cries out for Elijah. And after he's gone, he tears his own clothes Weird, right? But not for them. Because that was their way of like wearing black. That was their way uh, of, of grieving. He tears his clothes in grief. But he picks up the robe that Elijah had left behind. And he carries the mantle. And what did it mean for him to want that double portion? Doesn't that sound kind of... Greedy? Doesn't it sound kind of audacious for him to follow and to serve the great prophet Elijah and, and upon his death say, I want a double portion of your spirit? But that's not what God would say to us. So we go back to Hebrews after talking about Enoch in verse 5 and verse 6, it says this. 
It is impossible to please God without faith. Because anyone who comes to him, and he gives two things. If you're going to come to God, if you're going to please God, there's two requirements, he says. Number one, we must believe that he exists. Can't believe God if you're an atheist. Okay, check. We get that point. (laughs) If you don't believe him, if you don't trust him, you're not going to please him. But listen to this second part. Must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. God rewards those who earnestly, truly, authentically seek him. And here we learn a powerful lesson of scripture. Because there are so many things in life that we seek that we don't get. Right? You ever looked in the mirror and wanted a different reflection? Hoped that the image was slightly different? You you ever wanted a raise that you didn't get? You ever wanted to ace a test and you barely came out passing? You, You ever wanted that special someone to like you and they don't like you back? You ever wanted to make a certain amount of money and somehow they just, the sales wouldn't go through, things wouldn't work? All of us have goals in life, have desires, have things that we want and that we seek after that we don't get. That's just life, right? Some of you may remember a line from a song several years back. I wish I would have been a little bit taller. Could have been a baller. Some of you remember that. We all wish we could have been a little different, a little better looking, a little, more, a little smarter, a little more talented, a little more likable. And there are things in this life, whether it's our own limitations or circumstances around us or things that other people do to block us from getting what we want out of life. And so we live life knowing and understanding, regardless of all the things we say. Don't let anyone ever tell you no to your dreams and blah, blah. Yeah, okay, that's good and positive and helpful, you know. But, but we all know there's things we're going to want that we're not going to get. But here's the interesting thing. Those are all lesser things. But the greatest thing you can ever have in life is an unblockable goal. No one in this life can stop you from being closer to God. No one but you. In other words, right now, you're exactly as close to God as you want to be. No further, no less. You are right where you chose and acted and lived and believed to put you in that place with God. I'm not talking wishful thinking. Just like we wish we could be millionaires, we might wish I was a better Christian. I wish I loved the Lord more. But wishing is not 
what God is talking about here. He's talking about seeking him. He's talking about an audacious goal that says, God, I'm not satisfied with where I am now. God, I have a holy discontent. I'm not okay with being a surface level cultural Christian. I'm not okay with simply having fire insurance that I know I won't go to the bad place, but I'll go to the good place instead. God, I want to know you. Paul said it this way, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul said, I will do anything and everything to experience God's power, even if it means that I suffer with him. Whatever I have to do to get to know Christ more, that's what I'm going to do. Jesus said, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. You see, there's no one starving spiritually because God said no more. If we are weak, if we are anemic, if we are puny in our relationship with God, it is because we have chosen to step back. All of us in life have been told and taught, tell me when. Right? You want, some, uh, you want some creamer in your coffee? I'll pour it. Tell me when. We say when. Uh, you want some more uh, tea to drink? Yeah, about half a cup. Okay, tell me when. We tell them when. And they stop. Some of you have, you've been sat down and experienced that bottomless salad and and when they bring you that bottomless salad out you know depending on who you are we we joke about a certain family member when when they got sat down to a buffet they they would look up at the waitress and say keep it coming keep it coming and maybe you are that person or you have somebody in your family golden corral just wants to close down when they see you coming because you're about to clean them out All right, bottomless, eat all you can buffet. But maybe you've been to, maybe you've been to that salad at Olive Garden and and afterwards they've asked you if you, do you want some cheese on that? And they got that fancy little grater with, you know, it's got that handle. You wonder if any of them ever get carpal tunnel from that, you know, doing that so often. But they start doing it and they, they look at you and you're like, keep it coming. And they keep it and after a while, Keep it coming. I mean, I've never tried this. But theoretically, you could have this much salad and this much cheese, you know, because they say they're not stopping until you say when. And God, in his love and mercy and grace, says, I want to pour out on you every bit. I want to douse you. I want to flood you. I want to fill you with my spirit, with my goodness, with my kindness, with my love. And most of us get to a point in our life, we say when. Okay, 
My family, they're all getting along. My kids are doing respectable things. They're not embarrassing me. Uh, Finances are okay. I've got good Christian friends. Whatever it is in our life where we think we've gotten enough of God. We turn him off until trouble comes. And all of a sudden we remember him again. (laughs) Okay, Lord, bring it, bring it, don't stop. Until we get comfortable again and say enough. So I come back to the question today. How close do you want to be to God? Where you are right now is how close you've wanted to be. It's the amount, it is the energy, it is the faith, it is the love that you have invested into your relationship with God. You're exactly that close to him. When I was a little bitty boy, my parents gave me a Bible memory book with the letters of the alphabet. A was all we like sheep have gone astray. B was believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. C was was confess the Lord Jesus. D was this verse. I learned this at this age. Draw near unto God and he will draw near unto you. If you're not close to him, it's not because he's distant. It's not because he's moved. It's because you've said enough. I need my space. Our spiritual life It's kind of like those old bench seats we had in the car. Remember seeing those teenagers going on a date down the road? They weren't sitting over across from each other where the seatbelts were. That didn't matter so much. I mean, people would slide all the way. And you might laugh, you might joke, but they wanted to be as close as they could be. Do you believe that God exists? If you sow, that's awesome. The first step is there. But James says, guess what? The demons believe also and they tremble. Because what they do, Satan and his minions do not believe is the second part of that. They do not believe that God is a rewarder of those who seek him. In their own pride, in their own arrogance, they rebelled against God because they do not trust him and they do not love him. And there's many a Christian who is drawing close and drawing close. But God began to draw them closer through a practice of discipline and sacrifice and tough times in their life. Things that were going to be for their own good. But they got tired of it and they said, I'm, I'm done. I, I can't take this anymore. I'm backing off. Where are you? How close to God do you really believe that he is a rewarder of those who seek him? Let me put that in easy terms. That means nothing you do for God will ever be ignored. It will never be turned away. It will never be forgotten. But Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. And all the other things will be added. Do what's important. God will take care of all the other stuff that we spend our time worrying about.
But every bit you invest in God's kingdom goes through to eternity. It all matters. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, I I just come to you. And God, I know that this is a a message that's going to bring some sorrow. It's going to bring some sadness for some. For some, it'll bring joy as they realize, hey, nothing is blocking me from God and I can get closer. But others of us, God, just like I did this week, when I realized that I'm not where I want to be with you, and that's on me. And God, I pray for anyone else in this place who experiences that kind of sorrow and that kind of grieving as I did this week. God, that it would be as your word says that godly sorrow leads to repentance. Father, it would not simply be, I'm sad because things aren't the way I want them. But Father, we would understand there's so much more that we've let pass us by. You are the creator of the universe. You have opened your storehouses wide. Father, you are the giver of all good things. Lord, help us to hunger and thirst and seek after you to ask forgiveness where we need it, Father, and then intentionally, daily, may we take up our cross, deny ourselves and follow you. May we walk with you as the men that we have seen in your word today. Father, bless this time of invitation. Lord, help us to get right with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is our time to respond to God. To take what we heard from Genesis and Kings and Hebrews about Enoch and Elijah and Elisha. And most of all, what Jesus said to us. That we're to hunger and thirst for him. You respond to the Lord. If you need prayer, I'll be down here. Maybe you want to simply come and kneel and pray by yourself or with a family member or whatever it is. But as we sing a couple of verses here, don't let this opportunity pass you by to make a change for the better. If you're not happy with where you are, if you want more, God wants more for you. Will you reach out to him? Stand as we sing.